Well, let's keep worshiping him. Let's turn together in the word of God to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. We're walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And now Jesus brings up the topic of money. And we say, oh, it's too bad. We don't have a relevant topic today. We never think about money. So I guess we'll just make it through. No, we see that Jesus brings up money. We cannot think of anything more relevant than money, especially right now, right? We're in this Christmas marketing season. We're in Christmas shopping season, maybe for some Christmas hoping season. And then at the same time, we're in this strategic time in the life of the church where we're praying about our sacrificial giving to get the gospel and sustain the gospel among the nations. So we're all praying about our gifts to that. So our minds really are on money right now. Now, you've probably felt like I have felt that even when I don't want to think about money, I have to. Here's why I have to, because Publix expects money from me. And so does Kroger. I don't want to pick on Publix. And so does Amazon and Walmart. They expect money. Dominion Power wants money from me. My mortgage company wants a lot of money from me. And so does Liberty University, where we have another daughter going to school. They want money. So here's our challenge. How do we use money without being ruled by it or even ruined by it? And so that's how Jesus is going to help us here. Now, how we respond to Jesus's perspective on money is going to shape the type of impact you and I have in our lives. And also, we're going to see Jesus brings up heaven in this discussion of money. And so, so even how we relate to Jesus's words here on money will have an impact on our eternal rewards. Now, to be clear, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. There's nothing we contribute to our salvation but trust in Jesus. But we've seen over and over again, Jesus brings up rewards. And here he's going to talk about treasures in heaven, as we're going to hear in a moment. And, and a lot of that's hinging on how we handle our money. So I want you to hear this message. Brace yourselves. This is at one of the most challenging areas of our lives but Jesus, our Lord, has the right, doesn't he, to speak right into these things that are very dear to us. So now let's pick up verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Notice as Jesus brings up this topic of wealth, he gives us a clear command. He tells us in verse 19, here's what you are not to do related to wealth. And then in verse 20, here's what you must do with wealth. Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. There is a very clear command there. And then verse 20, he tells us something of the opposite. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So in other words, don't make it your goal to accumulate things on the earth. But accumulate different treasure in heaven. 
Now, also here, let's, let's pause here. This is not a teaching that money itself is bad. That would not be biblical. We know the love of money is bad. Money itself, not bad. Neither is this a teaching that you don't need any money. That's not what the Bible teaches. Neither is this a call that we should all seek to be in poverty. Nor is this a message that we should seek to be financially irresponsible. So if you come out of this message and say, I know what I'll do now in light of what Jesus said, I'm not going to work anymore. And I'm just going to not plan for the future. No, the Bible says plenty about hard work. If you have forgotten that, the book of Proverbs, he'll warn you about being a sluggard. Another part in the New Testament even, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. So he's uh, the teaching against laziness. And even all that, while the Bible teaches us to ask the Lord for our daily bread. And so we don't want to misapply this. But what this is, is a call to clarity about where our faith and hope should be. This is a call to faithfulness. This is a call to invest our resources differently than our neighbors around us. So the point is this, you will use money in this life, but don't let money become your life. And Jesus here brings up treasure. How would we define treasure? I suppose we could say this, our treasure is the stuff that we crave and accumulate. And you and I have a lot of stuff. That's why they make cabinets and drawers and closets and attics and storage sheds. And when that's not enough, there are businesses all over town where you can store your stuff in somebody else's building. It's big business for that. Jesus knows our hearts, how we have a heart that likes to accumulate stuff. Not all that bad, but it can get quite excessive if we're not careful. And we know how our hearts can be stirred. I have plenty of stuff, but I want more stuff. And even if I don't think I need more stuff, I'll have advertisers tell me some stuff that now that I know that exists, I got to have that. You ever sat there in a commercial and maybe even an infomercial and it goes on and, and you're like, wow, that, that backup generator might really be a great thing to have. And I, and, or, or how about, it, and that sounds like a pretty important thing, but, but what about stackable storage containers? I didn't even know they made those that stack so nicely. <laughs> or a great knife set. Look at those knives. I didn't know that. Or flex seal. If, if my boat ever comes in half, I could tape my boat back together with flex seal. Now I got to get a boat first. Well, now I need a boat. I'm not happy. So we're, we're perfectly content. And then we see something that we don't have and, well, now I'm not content. I just got to get more. And this is embarrassing about us where this, this desire for more and more, I'm not going to be happy until I see the next thing and get the next thing. Well, I'm still not happy. Let me get the next thing. And this starts early in life. Did my life. I remember walking through the supermarket with my mother. We go down that cereal aisle and I don't know if they still do this or not, but back when I was growing up, they had toys in the cereal boxes. Somebody tell me, do they still do that? I just remember they'd always have the little toy in the kids' cereals. And so I'd go through there and I'd say, Mom, I want this cereal. She said, Jim, will you even eat that? Yes, I'll eat that. And I'd get it home and that cereal was normally trash. And I, I wouldn't eat it. I'd sit there until it got stale. But I got my little prize. By the way, the prize was trash too. <laughs> but I had to have it. But Jesus knows our ten tendency to treasure the wrong things. Jesus knows our tendency to store up the wrong things here. And so as we hear his teaching on, on money here and on wealth, and as he warns us about where not to store up and where to store up, understand he's telling you this because he loves you. 
This is Jesus looking out for you. He's pulling for you that you'll make better decisions because here, here's what he's going to do now. He gives you those simple commands. Don't store up treasure on earth. Store up treasure in heaven. Now he tells you why. And he didn't have to do that, but I love that he does because he cares for us. So here's first reason why not store up treasures on earth. Because materialism is a terrible investment. So why not store up treasures on earth? Because materialism is a terrible investment. Jesus take pain, takes pains here to tell you that it's also temporary. The things that you will store up here are defective. He's appealing, if you'll notice, to common sense. Why would you treasure these things that are so vulnerable? He brings up here moth, moths and rust and thieves. The point is the stuff that you and I desire here, it's all vulnerable and it's all temporary. So moths, they really do attack wool don't they? Rust really does attack metal. And then there are thieves, they'll steal anything. And we live in a generation where they're using even technology to, to steal for you. So, so it's all temporal. It's not always bad, but Jesus says, this is a terrible investment. If you live for it, if this is what you lust for, this is a terrible mistake. It's all vulnerable. Do you remember in the beginning of the pandemic, we were all hoarding toilet paper? Right? And, uh, and now it's the, those shelves are bare, but still you can find it now. It's not as desperate. But so we had our little stockpile upstairs just off of our bathroom, their little closet. And uh, you, you feel kind of good. I've, I've got what I think we need for the next few weeks at least. And, and there it is. And then we had a toilet overflow. And the water came from the toilet. And we stopped it pretty quick, but not before it made it all the way to the, the toilet paper hoard. Man, that was concerning to me all that effort of getting the toilet paper, but happy to report the plastic wrapping around it saved it all. We were, we were good there. But just an illustration, yes, moths are a problem, rust a problem, thieves are a problem. Jesus just being, just giving illustrations. Water's a problem. The stuff we store up here is very, very vulnerable, but we're tempted to accumulate. And we admire men like Elon Musk and Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates. These are billionaires in all the temporary things of this earth. And with the temporary wealth that they have, they can make themselves and their loved ones quite comfortable and we're tempted to be envious of them. But let's ask the question, if we just think about them a moment, what do they have that will last? What do they have that's eternal? And then we ask the question, what about their actual souls? I would love to hear that I'm wrong, but I haven't heard of these men that they have come to know Jesus, that they're born again, having turned from sin and trusted in Jesus. I haven't heard that. I'd love to be wrong and, and I'm pulling for them that they would know Jesus. But listen, if they don't know Jesus, they are bankrupt in all the ways that matter. I mean, just looking at what Jesus says here, they don't have what will last. We think of Warren Buffett as a great investor and in the temporary things of this earth, of, of this earth he is a brilliant investor. But in the things that matter, he's made a horrible mistake, a terrible investment. So not condemning these men, pray for them. Pray that there will be a courageous Christian in their lives who would not be intimidated by their wealth, but who would lovingly, graciously point them to the Savior who can give them true riches indeed. In fact, you think about it, the stuff we're tempted to accumulate, accumulate, isn't it all really Monopoly money? You ever play Monopoly? I don't play it much, 
I try to avoid it whenever I can, right, girls? I try to avoid Monopoly. It takes too long. It's too much of a time commitment. But in the middle of a Monopoly marathon, I mean game, you, you're accumulating this fake money in little houses and hotels. But even if you're doing great at Monopoly, you, there comes a time when the game's over. And you walk away and go, now I'm back to, I'm back to real life. And this is what it is with the money we think is the real money. It is valuable during this short season of our lives on this earth. But there's coming a time very quickly for all of us when it's absolutely worthless. It won't impress anybody very soon. It's as if it wasn't even real. But even if we could have all the stuff and not have it decay and the thieves don't get it, here's the deal. Even if it doesn't decay, you and I are decaying. Even if all of it appreciates you and I are depreciating physically, and there's a time when, when us and our things will part from one another. 1 Timothy 6, 7. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. So everything we accumulate, eventually we leave it behind, and what will happen with it? Sadly, some of these things we prized, our relatives won't care anything about, and they'll take it straight to the dump. That's humbling. Some of it will be given to... Salvation Army or our favorite place to give it now, Redemption Thrift. Some of us just going to end up there. Some of it your greedy relatives are going to fight over. Isn't that tragic? And then I hope some of it will go to grateful heirs. But be sure of this, you won't ever see it again once you leave this life. And so Jesus is pulling for us. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth because it's a terrible investment. Here's another reason why we shouldn't do it. Because materialism is a terrible threat to your heart. To your very soul, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is making the point that wealth has a way of capturing your affections and your attention. It's dangerous to your soul that you would set your affections on temporary material wealth. And the Bible calls this a type of idolatry. The Lord equates in Scripture greed with idolatry. You're worshiping and treasuring another God when you're chasing after material things. Not only is it idolatry, it's empty. We think, if I get this, if I acquire all that, if I get to this level in life, I will be satisfied. And over and over again, human beings by the billions discover, and it didn't work. It didn't work. It's interesting, even secular psychologists know this. Jesus told us this 2,000 years ago, but even those who don't know Jesus find the same thing. So I came across this article in Psychology Today, and listen to this. Our mad materialism, I love how they describe it. Our mad materialism would be forgivable if there was evidence that material goods and wealth do lead to happiness. But all the evidence fails to show this. Study after study by psychologists has shown that there is no correlation between wealth and happiness. The only exception is in cases of real poverty when extra income does relieve suffering and bring security. But once our basic needs are satisfied, our level of income makes little difference to our level of happiness. Research has shown, for example, that extremely rich people such as billionaires are not significantly happier than people with an average income and suffer from higher levels of depression. Researchers in positive psychology have concluded that their well-being does not come from wealth, but from other factors such as good relationships, meaningful and challenging jobs or hobbies, and a sense of connection to something bigger than ourselves. And then they say it, such as religion, 
a political or social cause, or a sense of mission. So even unbelievers, even those in the realm of psychology, will tell you, you know, money really doesn't make people happy. They've studied it and studied it and studied it and said, you know, what Jesus said all along is correct. So if you're chasing wealth, your heart is in the wrong place. And Jesus makes the point, if you're chasing wealth, your attention is in the wrong place. Notice now verses 22 and 23. He talks about your vision here. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus is saying this, you can be blinded by wealth. You can have a distorted view of life when you think it is about money. It is about what I can accumulate. Your whole perspective is clouded if you chase after that. So be careful of your heart. Be careful of your vision. If your goal in life is coming from Forbes or it's coming from the Wall Street Journal or Money Magazine, you've been blinded. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. So how about this question? What if you live your life to get rich, but don't att attain it? What if you live your life to get rich and you don't attain it? You failed. But how about this? If you live your life to get rich and you do attain it, you still failed. You still fail. You have find, you'll find out that you have wasted your life. You were created for more than this. You were created for God's glory. You were created for a greater cause. So in your job, work hard. Earn money for your family. Work as unto the Lord. Provide for them. Plan for your future needs. But keep your focus on Christ and his mission for your life. Don't treasure things. Don't live with a consumer's mentality, but with a cause mentality. Don't live to collect things, but to share things. Don't live to hoard things, but to help people. Don't live for leisure or even adventure, but you should live for a mission, God's mission. So Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on the earth because it's a terrible investment. It's also temporary. It's also terrible for your heart. And then finally, this point, Materialism is a terrible master. It's the wrong master. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Jesus reveals that these are competing faiths. These are two different religions. The, the lust for money or the worship of God, they're mutually exclusive. You can't have them all. And yet many people have made it their pursuit to worship the, what some have called the almighty dollar, which we now know is not almighty at all. What a, what a poor substitute for God. But many have made it their religion. I will wake up in the morning, it's my every thought, the quest to make more and more and can become a slave to that appetite for wealth. So understand greed and the gospel of Jesus Christ are incompatible. Though there are some perversions of Christianity that try to teach that you can have it both. So the so-called prosperity gospel, where people want to use God just to get more stuff. It's the idea, if you believe right, 
and you give enough to a certain ministry, then God's going to bring it back to you and you're going to be wealthy and you'll always be healthy if you have enough faith. And if you can, you can manifest it, you just visualize it and say enough things, you'll get all the stuff. And that is not Christianity. You see here clearly that's not how Jesus talked about how we view wealth. So see it, there is a decision to be made here. Jesus says it's either or. You can't have a passion for both. Notice the hostility Jesus brings up and the intensity in these words. No one can serve two masters. Catch this. For he will either hate, underline that, he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted, underline that, to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So which will it be? These two are vying for you. Will it be God or will it be money? Now, as your pastor, I pray for you that God will meet all your needs. I pray that God will bless you abundantly. That's not always a bad thing. I've known some wealthy Christians through the years, and they've been quite impressive with what they do with their wealth and, and being very generous in the kingdom causes. But I've even known as their pastor how they'll give secretly to help other people. And they don't want any fanfare. They don't want any notice for it. Very biblical in what they do. So it's not wrong if God prospers you through your work, through your hard work, through your honesty. He blesses you with resources. It's, it all comes a matter of where is my allegiance? What am I devoted to? And Jesus calls for a choice. It can't be God and wealth. One of the great examples of that is in Matthew 19, that one we know of in the Bible is the rich young ruler. Remember his story? It says, and someone came to Jesus and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus tested him by mentioning certain laws and commandments. The young man then said to him, all these things I've kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Notice Jesus lays out the choice for him. You want eternal life, you need to come follow me. But he chose his wealth. What a, what a bad investment. What a bad decision. Where is that young man's wealth now? Where is that young man now? Jesus, there is a choice. James spoke the same way. James 5, verses 1 through 3. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Or 1 Timothy 6, 7 through 10. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Or Hebrews 13, 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. Quickly, three things that we can do to defeat 
materialism in our lives, just as we apply this now to ourselves, first of all, know your identity and your purpose. If you want to defeat materialism in your life, know your identity and your purpose. You say, how, do, how do you do that? Every day as a disciple of Jesus, pull aside, open up your Bible, read the Word of God. Let God speak to you in His Word and then spend some time praying to Him. Because in that time with Him, you'll be reminded, oh yeah, it's, it's about Him. Life is about Him. In fact, remember we saw in the Lord's Prayer here in the Sermon on the Mount, just in a time of prayer, when you start off praying something like this, our Father who is in heaven, you pick up your identity. Oh, that's right, I'm a child of God. My fundamental identity on the earth, I'm a child of God. That's who I am. And in that same prayer, he taught us, my, my heart should be captivated by his kingdom. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you think, okay, there's a mission. So I'm a child of God on a mission. That's why I'm here. You want to defeat materialism, understand your identity and purpose. Second thing, practice contentment with gratitude. Practice contentment with gratitude. Rather than thinking about, I got to have the next thing. Oh, they're telling me there's another thing. There's a, there's a 4.0 version of this. I got to have it. No, be, be filled with gratitude. God, thank you for what I already have. Force your mind there and ask God to help you be content. That famous verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you know the context of that? This, this context, contentment. Paul said, I know how to, have, how to have humble means and I know to have abundance. I know how to handle that. I know how to go hungry and be filled. He said, I've learned the secret of that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God can enable us in a culture like ours to be content, but it's gonna be through his strength. And then third, we wanna defeat materialism, practice kingdom stewardship and generosity. Notice Jesus did not say you can't store up treasures. He just told you where to do it. Store them up, but store them up in heaven. You say, how do you store up treasures in heaven? Listen, it's through kingdom giving, it's through kingdom serving when you are all out in his kingdom. I love what Randy Alcorn said. He said, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead by investing in the kingdom. So this is not a call to be frugal or stingy, but to actively put your heart in the direction of the kingdom of God, because where your treasure is, he's right, your heart will be also. And so we can say it this way, generosity is a key antidote for greed. Because greed is I want to take and I want to accumulate. And generosity is a way of subduing that, so now I'm going to actually be one who's focused outward and I want to be a blessing to others. Well, I want you to watch this three-minute video with me. We've been talking about Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions, and we've been looking at these glimpses around the world. And here's a missionary in Thailand, a medical missionary, so inspiring on so many levels. It's a three-minute video, but at the end of it, he's going to make this connection between what money can do and what money cannot do. So watch this, and then we'll conclude our message. Here in Thailand, there are so many people who don't know God, and no one they know knows God. Thai people have a desperate desire to get rid of the sin that they know they have. They're, they're going to the temples and they're taking money and gold and flowers and anything they can do that they think is good that might erase the sin that they know that is inside them. Am I calling to be a doctor and calling to be a missionary came on the same day. When a missionary came and spoke at our church, he said the line, the saddest thing I've seen 
After 35 years on the mission field, his children sick and dying because there's no doctor to care for them. And it was a, light, a lightning bolt through my soul. And I said, okay, God, I'll be a medical missionary. Our ministry here takes mobile clinics all over the country of Thailand. Church planners call me up and say, I'm trying to start a new church where there's never been one. Would you come and help me? Medicine is just a means for me to share the gospel with those who have no other access. When I talk about how to take care of their physical needs, it's just so easy for them to see when I start talking about their soul that they need a savior as well. And American churches have partnered with me in that. And they have sent me short-term mission teams that come with me for about a week every month. And we go out and do mobile clinics all over the country. Without the churches coming alongside me, I cannot do what I do. In general, people here do not like talking about spiritual things. But on mobile clinic, we can talk to 100 people in a day, 200 people, 300 people in a day that will come to mobile clinic and there we can share Christ with so many people at one time. It makes mobile clinic a great avenue for sharing the gospel. The point of mobile clinics is to start churches, groups of Thai believers that will go on to grow people in their new faith, to disciple them in their understanding of who Christ is, and to grow them together into groups that will become churches. There's a lot of things that money can't buy. Being able to be here and see God praised where he has never been praised before. That is a dear joy. Seeing souls saved in areas where no one has ever known God before. Watching them grow in their faith and lead others to faith. And watching them grow together into churches. Seeing churches start where no one has ever worshiped God before. Money can't buy that. Money can't save you either. It's a bad master, makes a bad God, can't save you, won't save you here, and certainly won't save you when you stand before God at the end of your life. Jesus is the Savior, the one who taught us here about how to view our wealth. Let's turn our eyes back to him. And here's the invitation. Have you, have you recognized your need for Jesus? Not to have as a mascot for your life, not to have as I once had him as a genie, that I would sometimes turn to, but no, is he your Lord and Savior? That's who he rightfully is. And today, you can turn from a low view of Jesus to recognize he's my Savior. He gave his innocent blood on the cross to save me. Nobody's loved me like this. Jesus, I put all my faith in you. I turn from everything else that I've ever trusted. And Jesus, I'm asking you to be my Lord and be my Savior. Take over my life. And even give me this. Give me this perspective on the temporary things. Help me to use it well for you. So let me lead us in prayer even now.